this is Champagne Divorce Party, where we talk to inspiring women who have turned their divorce into the best thing that ever happened to them. We're your hosts. I'm Carolyn. And I'm Gillian. We're best friends who have not only survived brutal divorces ourselves, but thrived in our lives post-divorce. And now we run Champagne Divorce Club, where we help women navigate their separation, heal their hearts and transform their lives. Today we're joined by Pamela Milliken. Pam was married for 25 years before she decided to call time on her marriage. Told that she'd never survive on her own, Pam has proven that not only could she survive, but she would find a whole new life of adventure and success. Since separating from her ex, Pam has travelled the world, bought her own home, set up a thriving business and written a book which has been adapted to a screenplay by a Hollywood producer. And as if that's not enough, which I think it totally is, uh, she's also just started training for her helicopter pilot's licence. I'm so excited to talk to her today about how she turned her divorce into the best thing that ever happened to her. Welcome, Pam. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to be here. That is such an an amazing bio. (laughs) (laughs) And there's stuff in there that I haven't put in because, like, what do I put in? And she's like, yeah, I just, you know, it's amazing what you can do when you're given free reign to do that and you haven't got someone holding on to you and keeping your brakes on and making you feel like you're not worthy of it or you can't have it or you can't do it or whatever it is. Mm. Mm, Absolutely. So I guess that's a a good segue. Um, Can you tell us a little bit? First, about the marriage that you were in. Um, you know, how long were you married? How old were you when you first met? Okay, I was 27 uh, when we first met and uh, he was 21. So we did a lot of growing together. Okay, we became, we almost became, because we'd been together so long, we became my brother and sister. And that's kind of what, where it goes wrong. You you, you stop being um, sexually and emotionally attached to that person. You end up going through the motions and it just becomes two people living in the same house and you know, you do, you, you do your growing together. And I don't honestly know if two people are supposed to stay with one person for the rest of their life. It's like, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. That's just sometimes you, you think about that. And, um, you know, we Aiden had a great relationship. You know, we traveled the world together. We did some amazing things. You know, we coached skiing and snowboarding for 17 years back to back. And we did mountain biking and climbing. And in all of those aspects, we were great. Really, really good friends, really good. We understood each other. We could read each other. But then there was that connection that was missing that, you know, I want I and I love you, but I'm not in love with you. And we often stay in relationships because we're too frightened to go out on our own, because when you're in that relationship and, you know, I was in that relationship with Aidy because I have to go all the way back and go, why did I choose that person? Now, he was diligent, a hard worker. And um, I knew I would never be homeless because I come from being um, abandoned by my whole family at 15 and a half years old. And beaten by my father regularly and abused by my mom's brother, sexually abused. And, you know, I got told I would never be anything. And I remember, you know, I was only talking about this at a meeting I had this morning because I was presenting that my father used to kick seven bells of crap out of me. And, and, and while he was going, you'll never be anything. You'll never be anything. And I used to repeat this thing. I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll show you. And I just used to say it over and over and over in my head. And I don't even know why I chose to say that, but I, I just did. And, I didn't believe him because there was something wrong with their behavior. So what happens is when you grow up with dysfunction, you actually need to grow through that. And if you don't grow through it when you're a child, then you pick the people in your life now that are going to continue that learning. Okay, so I needed someone to put me down, to patronize me, to make me feel like I couldn't cope on my own. And Adi always used to say to me, you don't know anything about business, Pat. You'll struggle. You, know, you, you won't make it on your own. You And whenever I used to talk about emotional intelligence, I'd be like, yeah, yeah. I know you think like that, but nobody else does. And all of that kind of 
stuff which is demeaning and patronizing and controlling. But I chose that because I wanted to feel safe. So you've got to understand why you're in a relationship and why you're stuck there. And then you've got to remember why you choose to leave it, if that kind of makes sense. So that was a bit of a long answer, wasn't it? <laughs> no, that's a wonderful answer. <laughs> idea of, uh, of, of the context and why you made the, the choices that you made. So while you were in that relationship and, and you know, you, you, you're choosing this familiar way to suffer, if you like, um, what sort of partner were you? Like how did you feel about yourself at that time and how would you describe yourself as a, as a wife and partner? Um, I, I was really insecure. Um, you know, because I, and then, then again, you have to go back to your conditioning, right? Because you've got to go, who was I being and why was I being that? Now, I was being really insecure. And if Eddie was talking to somebody, especially if she was a dark-haired woman, and um, because the woman that was able to turn my father's mind, while I was on holiday, I'd been allowed to go on holiday for um, a week with my boyfriend and his family at the time. And I didn't think I'd be allowed to go because I never got to do anything. Because when my mother did left six months earlier and taken my sister, she got fed up with my father beating her. So I came home from school and she'd gone and taken my sister. So then it was just me and my dad and my brother. Yeah. And then, um, so what happened then was we put an ad in the paper and got my dad to have a companion. And the minute I met her, you know, you meet people and there's something about people you just think, there's something about you that's dark and I don't like it. But she was keeping my dad distracted. So I got a few less beatings. So, you know, you can deal with that. It's like there's benefit in everything, guys. You can look for that silver lining, right? <laughs> and, and honestly, um, I didn't think I was going to be allowed to go. And my boyfriend at the time said, well, mom, I, my parents are going to pay for you. And I'm like, I know, but, you know, I'm never allowed to do anything because I was chief cook and bottle wash. But she persuaded him to let me go. And I thought, oh, but, you know, I knew I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't. I so wanted to go on holiday. But then I knew something was going to – I just knew, but I, I, I pushed that away and forgot about it. And I should have listened to my gut because when I came home to a completely empty house, uh, everything I owned had been thrown out, and my dad had moved in with her, and I'd been abandoned at 15 and a half years old. And I walk up to her house and say, what about me? And it's like, what about you? You're not our problem. And I'm like, I'm still at school. And it's like, like I said, not my problem. And she just shut the door, and that was it. And um, I lived with my boyfriend and his family for a while. And my brother came. Then I lived in someone's attic because oh, they were uptown people uptown here, and I was downtown council house estate, you know, government housing, no food, no money. And um, I lived in an attic on stolen food that my brother was bringing in from stealing from their house. So you got to understand that. So I had all of that. So I need I, my first need was security. So I was going to latch on to any boyfriend that had a family, and I made their family my family. I could I make I took no time going mum and dad. You know, and then I treated their brothers and sisters like my brothers and sisters, and I, I inserted myself. So with AD, it was like I, and it, the same with my current partner now, but not so bad now. I'm really, I'm, I've got a whole lot better on that. But when there's somebody going on, I think, okay, what are they talking about? And am I going to lose my home? Is everything going to be gone when I get home? I mean, what are they talking? I just, and I'd say, I drive everybody mad. Like, what was that about? Or who are you on the phone to? And it, mm. it made me really insecure. And I must have been a pain in the ass to be with because it was like they couldn't couldn't do anything. And all I needed them to go was like, it's okay, Pam. But they don't do that. They get angry and they get defensive. And then you end up having a big argument. It's like, where's your understanding of why I'm insecure this way? So I was really insecure. And I, I was believing everything that was being reinforced by by the way that AD was treating me. Whenever I had an idea, it's like, yeah, yeah, okay, don't worry. You know, it's, no one's going to do that. No one's going to believe that. Uh, that when I started teaching tapping, like Pam's, no one's going to pay you to tap on the side of their hand and repeat things. And I'm like, well, it's actually. Oh, so I do. Yes. I do. I'm a, I'm a trainer in that. And it's like, you know, I just, I love tapping. It's so effective. And, you know, I made a difference to the girl that came here the other day and she did like heights and she's looking at it. And I went, ooh, 
within two minutes I got her out there looking over she said I don't like it I said well we never said about it. like it but you're out there now so perfect so That's yeah I was amazing. really insecure yeah um so well on that I mean you were told that you'd never survive on your own and that you'd be remarried in six months because you couldn't cope um clearly that wasn't true what no. effect did that have on you at the time um I believed it for a long time I just I did think that I wouldn't be able to make it which is why it took me it's so long to leave the marriage because be, 10 years before when I started having doubts and knew that this wasn't where I wanted to be and that I was I wasn't in love and I wasn't loving my husband the way I thought a, a woman or a wife should love her husband and you know I wasn't seeking external um you know relationships anywhere else but a lot of people do because they continuously look outside themselves for what's going on inside and for whatever reason, I'm very introspective and I work really hard. So, you know, I create all my books and, and my programs and everything because I am I want to learn about emotional intelligence and human behavior and human potential and, and all of that stuff. And I'm obsessed with helping people and getting results. And um, so I didn't I didn't seek that external environment, but I just I believe everything Eddie was telling me that I wouldn't be able to make. So it took 10 years for me to actually go, maybe I can make it. And I'd done enough learning, enough training to go, well, you know what, right now I want to make my own decisions. I want to screw up. I want to get it wrong. And I want to learn from that because whatever the outcome is, I know I can deal with it because I'm not a stupid person. And I know that, you know, there is no failure. There's only feedback. So if I get it wrong and I screw up, then I'm just going to accept that. Like, okay, what what do I need to learn? Who do I need to get to help me? What do I need to do to do it better next time? And if you're not afraid of doing that, the world's your oyster. Yeah, I think regardless of whether you're going through divorce or or anything, I think, you know, that sort of, yeah, when fear isn't holding you back, you're pretty unstoppable, aren't you? It's very limiting. Mm. Yeah. Um, So talk us through those early days then. So, you know, you've just separated. How did you cope and what kept you going? What kept you believing in yourself that you could keep doing it? Um, First of all, I had, I wrote down my my goals, you know, and I knew by the time I actually left the relationship why I wanted to leave that. And I knew what was working. And I did my own sort of like schedule of like, okay, what isn't working? Why isn't it working? And what would I do if I wasn't in this relationship? Who would I be? And I, I asked myself all the questions. I asked my clients, you know, it's like, who do you want to be? And, and why are you not that person already? And what's stopping you? And it is all fear. It's all fear based that you're not going to make it on your own. And you're not going to, you're not going to be anybody and everybody will hate you. And what will the neighbors think? I mean, it's ridiculous. What we, what we, I'm not going to leave because everyone thinks we're the perfect family. So I don't want to burst that bubble. It's like, you know, bullshit stuff. It's like, I don't care what the neighbors think. And the way I did that was, okay, if there, if I was in really deep trouble, would I go to any of these people and ask them for A, money help, B, for advice, or C, to help me out in any way? And then I thought, no, no, and no. And it's like, oh, then I don't really care what your opinion is. Because right, they're like backsides, everyone's got one. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I want to just, uh, so I'm going to go, am I prepared? To, what's the worst thing that can happen? I'll be homeless and I won't be having, I won't be able to eat. And like, well, I've done that already and I'm still alive. So I looked at my worst case scenario and I thought, I'm not stupid enough to be homeless. I'm not stupid enough to not find a job because I'll be a barista somewhere or I'll clean. Or do I think you can always find something. So I think you can understand what drives your behavior, why you've chosen that person and why you want to leave that that marriage or that relationship doesn't have to be a marriage being a long-term relationship it's like what isn't working and who will you be if you do leave that so I I decided that this is it and I just sat down and said to AD I don't this isn't working and we've been we're good friends I feel like you're my father because I have to ask you permission to can I buy that and can I have that and can I do that and I was sick of that I wanted to make my own decisions and I thought you know if I screw up and I mess up and get it wrong 
I'm going to screw up and mess up and get it wrong. I'll deal with it. But at least then I'm growing. I'm living my own truth. And I'm living my life because at that time I was living his life. And that's a waste of mine. So I kind of, I'd read enough, done enough, trained enough. And I just thought, no, it's my time. And whatever the outcome is, I'm, I'm strong enough to be able to deal with that because I looked at my history and I go, yeah, I'm strong enough to answer your question. <laughs> oh, love that. Um, so after your breakup, you set off on a bit of a world adventure. So how did that all come about and how did that change you? I'm sure it did. It did, you know, the because uh, Eddie was always saying to me, you're not good on your own. And he drove that into me that you don't know on your own. You, you're always after somebody there. And and that was true in the relationship. I I did always keep people close to me. They were like my, my cushions. Right? I kept my safety net around me. And uh, But when I left him, it was like, I'm going to make a clean break here. And I'm going to be on my own for at least a year before I have entered into any relationship so I can find out who I am and what I believe. So the very first time I went to Sedona in Arizona and I went over there for a month by myself, I've, I had to stop the car when I got to Phoenix driving all the way down to Sedona several times to get out and vomit. So I was so scared of being on my own. And I just, I thought, you know, I got myself into a right mess. But when I got there, I did all my tapping and I wrote my journal and I made myself go and walk in the wilderness. And I got all these pictures. My friends said, stop going out in the wilderness. What happens if we, you know, if something happens to you out there? And I'm like, no. But I had to put myself through that, put myself through that and go, you know, and prove to myself. I went I went on this journey to prove to myself that I can do it on my own. And when I drove back after a month, that makes me feel emotional right now, actually. When I drove back after my, ah, sorry, when I drove back after a month, I was so proud of myself because I'd done it. Sorry. Oh my god! But I was going. I can do this, and I, I kid you not. Somebody thought I was having a. a something was going on because they'd stopped and like shut down the window. Are you okay? Because I'd got out of my car going. I drove from Phoenix, Arizona. Oh my god! I drove from Phoenix, Arizona, all by myself, and I got down there all by myself, and I got lost in Phoenix, and I didn't panic. Well, that's not true. I did panic a little bit. But I still managed to get out. And now with sat-nav, it's uh, so much easier. I was not going to cry. And now that just made me cry. This is a horrible show. You're making me cry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's lovely. You go. It's all right. I'm crying too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so I was just proud. You have to go and prove to yourself. You know, whatever you think you can't do, you've got to go and prove that you can. And even if you can't, that doesn't mean anything. Then you go, okay, I can't do it. I still can't do it. But that doesn't mean they were right. It just means I need to learn something else and I need to get some help doing something or I need to get some training or whatever it is. You know, that story we tell ourselves over and over. You've got to challenge that story. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because believing believing that voice that tells you you can't do stuff is just it makes your world and your life small like forever. It just makes it tinier and tinier and those walls close in on you. Yeah, it does. And, you know, doing things for the first time is really hard. Like, we know that. Yeah. That's, yeah. you know, it's... Oh, we know Brené Brown talks about fucking first time, doesn't she? Yeah. Everything's hard the first time you do it and, and we can't expect it to be otherwise, but... But proving to yourself, it's you get a rush from it, you know, and proving to yourself that you can over and over again. You get high on it after a while, I think. Well, and that's how the guy was, like, lying down the window because I, I stopped my car and pulled up because I was going, ah! just like this. And then I thought, I got, you know, and you just, like, got so much energy, I had to pull the car over and just get out of my car. And, like, ah! 
And so it's because I'm doing this, this person's like, are you all right, lady? And I'm like, oh, sorry, I'm just having a, a happy moment. It's like, Jesus. I thought I was in that <laughs> I, was so, I was so proud of myself. And then that kind of set the scene for, and every time I challenged, uh, I, I'm sorry, every time I went overseas, I did it by myself. I went to Cambodia. I went to Vietnam. I went to Thailand. And I went for a month each time. And then I went to um, Machu Picchu. And every time I went by myself, uh, I got stronger and more confident. And I started believing in myself. And every time I doubted myself in any area, I just challenge that doubt rather than just believe it because we have a thought, right? We have a thought that we're not good enough or or we can't do something. So, But then what you do with that thought is indulgent. If you go, oh, well, I can't do it and I believe it. I don't have to believe that thought. I can go, well, screw you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you, you know, mm. that I can do it. And I'll show myself that I can do it. And even if I can't do it, I don't have any judgment on that. It's like, okay, that was harder than I thought. Like when I, I was a snowboard instructor for 17 years and I used to coach the coaches. And uh, so I got on a pair of skis and thought, how hard can it be? And I've gone up the lift and, oh, my God, I didn't kill myself going down the side. <laughs> okay. So I'm not a skier, but I can learn, right? <laughs> so I got back on them and I got and got some lessons. So that was kind of cool. But I thought I could just get on there because I was a snowboard coach and I was a trainer examiner. How hard can it be? I, I'm really surprised by that too. <laughs> <laughs> it was difficult. It was so much more different because I'm used to being on my snowboard and, you know, yeah. I was an ugly skier because, you know, I used to sit back like this on my snowboard. But, yeah. But as you say, I think taking the emotion and the, and the judgment out of that and just, like, what's what does it matter if you can't do it, if you try and you can't do it? Either yes. it's important enough to find a way to learn to do it or you let it go and go and do something else. That's wonderful. Absolutely. And you've got to understand that you have a thought but you're not your thoughts. You don't have mm-hmm. to become that thought. And too many people get lost in their thoughts. They think, well, I'm having a thought that I'm not good enough. So then they just believe that rather than go, well, is that really true? And looking for evidence to the contrary. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the mind, you get what you focus on. And if you're focusing on all the things that you're not good at, then you're going to get more of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got um, to focus on solutions. And speaking of focusing on solutions, let's talk about your business. Yes. <laughs> because that's something else that you've really built up since your divorce. Um, yeah. How how did that happen? How how did how did you build that? And um and what do you think has helped you to succeed so much? Um, I think well, what the thing is, first, sorry, sorry. What do I do? Um, well, I'm a, um, I've got more qualifications in hairs on my head now. That doesn't make me brighter, smarter, or better than anybody else. Um, because that's one thing I think we were talking about before we started recording is that we're not taught as children to be proud of our achievements. And I used to get beaten all the time for being a bigot because I'd come home and I'd be, you know, I could speak some French and or I'd get a straight A report. And and so we're taught to, that people get threatened. If I say I'm really good at something, then whoever I'm telling that to, if they're insecure, they're going to feel threatened by the fact that I'm saying I'm better than them. But I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I'm proud of the work that I've done and the effort I've put in. And I want everybody to own that. I want everyone to be proud of the effort because we know whether we put in a lot of effort or a little bit of effort, right? We know. And you know whether you're being a complete bitch to someone or you're being a nice person. And you know whether you're being selfish. You, we know, right? We, we really know what we're doing. So my business started as a – I did a law degree just to prove to my father that wasn't the worthless piece of shit that he told me. And I was like, okay, next. And I went on and, and got a ton of others. And all that's done for me is given me this big toolbox to be able to help people get fast results, which led me into coaching. Because I people were always asking me, and I always used to say, well, what about this and try that? And and it would work. And I'm thinking, you know what, I'm just going to coach people on all of this stuff that I know, because I've got 40 over 40 years, because I'm nearly 60 of learning, training, um, experience and qualifications that 
I can fast track someone. They don't have to spend 40 years and all that money and all that time and their effort to get to where they want to go. I can go, well, just like the, the lady yesterday that had the fear of heights. She'd had that her whole life. She's in her 50s. And within two minutes, I was able to get rid of her fear of heights. And she was like, oh, my God, where were you ages ago, you know, years ago type of thing. So we suffer for too long. We don't have to suffer for too long if we look for why we're there. So I, this, my program is exactly about that. My six-week Reset Your Life program is exactly that. It's about breaking down, um, with, you know, walking you through. So first of all, understand why you are where you are, how you've stayed there for so long, who's kept you there, like what story are you running in your head, what, what are you telling yourself? And then we break all of that down and then we, we dissect it and we reset it, which is why it's called Reset Your Life. And then we forgive those people that had any part in it not because the way they treat you is okay, it's not, but because you want to set yourself free. And holding on to pain or anger or resentment or whatever it is, is like drinking poison and expecting them to get sick. They don't care less, they've gone. They've moved on. So my my business came about with just wanting to help set people free. And I, you, you feel like you're on your own. And because I'd been on my own, you know, since I was 15 and a half, and even in my marriage, I felt like I was on my own because I wasn't supported. Um, in my ideas and I had to justify everything I wanted to do and why I did it what was my ROI on that and I didn't give a shit about ROI it's just I wanted to help people you know it's like I don't care if I don't make any money or people would turn up and I'd sit out there for a couple of hours and I'd get told you know how much did you charge them and I'm like I didn't it's like well you can't just keep doing that and I'm like well you know and it's I'm, I, I could um, I love I can help people and I love helping people and I'm passionate about it and I go over and beyond what needs to help you get the result you want so I think that's that's made me successful in business. I've never really advertised. I've only just started doing some now um, to advertise my program and my book, Making Broken Beautiful, um, that's been adapted to a screenplay um, by Hollywood producer Gino Scala. And now we've, I've just had another producer looking at it. So he's reading my script. And if he thinks it's something that he would like to make into a film, then, you know, maybe it'll go that next step. So and that's all about empowering people. And I'm about giving people their voice back because I had mine taken away from me for so long and giving them the power back and the option to fail if they want to and to go, I'm going to learn from this and to fail because fail forward because it doesn't matter how many times you fail so long as you're moving forward. So fail forward. Don't give don't judge what you do wrong don't, and learn from your mistakes and go, I either fail and I learn or I win and I learn. Either way, you're learning. So focus on the learning. So that's kind of my business has become successful because I get really quick results for people and with people and because I'm passionate about what I do. Mm. Mm, love all of that. <laughs> yeah, it's really amazing. And I love what you say about um, failing forward. Like that is so great um, because I think too often we sit in a place where failure, um, we're so used to, you know, bashing ourselves for things we don't do properly or right or and you know that voice of self-criticism can come up and we talk to people all the time who have really strong voices of, of criticism and you know to understand that failure isn't a bad thing you know and to fail forward it's beautiful I love that mm-hmm. yeah. and if you're happy to fail then you're going to learn and grow you know like mm-hmm. I don't care if I fail at something I laugh at myself now if I fail at something I go that didn't work out did it okay so what's the solution and because then you're going to grow exponentially. If you really don't mind failing, failing forward. Just keep going forward and going, okay, what else do I need to know? Stop judging when you fail, right? Yeah. People judge themselves and they criticize themselves and you just got to shut that little voice up. And But, you know, that little inner critic is there to help you. It, it, it's inbuilt to to protect you. And you go, oh, don't do that. Remember last time you did that, yeah, you got hurt. And so, but it gets out of control 
Whereas you can go, yeah, I know, but that was then. I used to be insecure, but now I'm working on being more confident. And I teach those kind of things. It's like in the past, I always tell. So when we say things like that, we we tell our mind in the past, I used to be insecure, but now I'm working on allowing myself to fail and learning from that lesson. So you tell your mind that in the past, but now. And it just it psychologically puts you on a different pathway and a more productive pathway. Oh, that's one. I feel like we're getting like a double kind of, we're getting your story, but also like a therapy session at the same time. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help myself. <laughs> I'm learning so much. <laughs> I really love it. Um, but And so as if all that isn't enough, as we said before, you've been training as a helicopter pilot as well. I know that was just amazing. I'm always, I actually, I'm not afraid of heights, but being up in a helicopter, I was actually feeling a bit sick. I realized when I was going for a flight over Sedona, when I did one of those trips, I thought, right, sometime I'm going to go and take flying lessons too. So rather than just acknowledge, uh, sorry, to ignore that fear and, and limit myself, like I can never get in a helicopter, I'm going to face that fear head on and go, well, I'm going to do the only thing that I can do. And that's actually fly the helicopter so I loved it so much I think I'm going to become a pilot and the guy goes you're a natural and I'm like sweet and he's got offered me a job when I finish my training so I'm like I could be a helicopter pilot too oh my and, you know, gosh and I've done so many things I've jumped out of airplanes for old people although even when I was and I did that because I wanted to to again face another fear of of doing that kind of thing I'm, I'm thinking okay rather than not do it I think about all the things I'm frightened of and I'm going to try and, and um put myself in this position where I'm challenged to do that in a safe place, right, with, you know, with the right, you know, instruction, because someone's already figured it out. It's like, okay, I want, so I've, you know, I'm a scuba diver and I've jumped out of airplanes. And although, you know, that when I jumped out of an airplane, I was 18, we did it for old people. It was to raise money for this charity for this old people. And I'm up there going, who the care with you? Who cares about old people? They're going to die anyway. I don't want to be up here. <laughs> I don't talk about the airplane. <laughs> so it's like, but then I'm like, oh, this is sweet. But, you know. It was it was it was fun, but um yeah I I love being a helicopter pilot and I, I I've had to put that on hold right now because there there are lessons of five hundred dollars an hour so I've had a couple and I think okay I'll wait until um you know I've got some more money but I loved it I just uh, there isn't anything I won't try I've I've built my own walls I've laid my own carpet laid my own floor and and put my own um I've built a staircase a wooden staircase and there isn't anything you can do that's what I want people to know that you there is nothing you cannot do. You just gotta so, have a go. <laughs> so, is there actually anything that you're scared of that you you're not doing? Because so far, yeah, I've had a picking up a spider, picking up a spider. <laughs> I could be in a room with one now and not run out like you know, like Usain Bolt when there's one in the room. And I don't mind even if it's that quite close. If it stays still, it's when it starts running, then I'm gonna move myself. But at least um, I can be in a room with it now. I've done my my work on that because. Fears of where did that come from? You know, my mother used to run like quicker than Usain Bolt out of the house if she saw a spider. And in England, our spiders aren't like these Australian ones out here. They're yeah. the size of your head, you know. They're like, they carry away and they've got like legs like this and knit needles for legs. Just, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, have, I have telepathic um, conversations with spiders in my house where if I see a spider once, I will think to it, <laughs> I see you, you see me. You've got two more chances to be in my house, and if I see you, a time, <laughs> you've got two chances to get out of here. 
Third chance, you're out. <laughs> yeah, you're on the bottom of my shoe. You're in here. Like, <laughs> exactly. Bottom of my shoe. Or but you know, with some of them, I'm scared they're just going to take the shoe off me and start chasing me around the house because you're right, they're huge. Well, well my um, my parents live in a in a sort of a rural area, so we grew up in this on this property. And one night, I was watching TV, and I could hear this noise. This like. Oh, you're And I was thinking, what is that noise? And I've looked up the hallway and there is this enormous spider, like just you could hear his chatting <laughs> down the hallway. Oh, no, that's um, horrible. I grew up with spiders there, obviously, but even that one really gave me the chills. So I was like, Ooh. Yeah, no, I've seen some massive, because I don't know if it's a bird spider, but we had one on our house and it must have come back in our um, surfboard bags because um, – I, I, I get these ideas in my head, right, sort of like I want to learn to surf and I thought oh, I'm going to become European Ladies Champion because there's a European title within 12 months. Now I've got to learn to surf. Okay, cool. So I get my <laughs> uh, my, my wave ski, I get my wave ski and I go out and I win the British, the Cornish, the Welsh and I took out the Europeans in France uh, all oh. within 12 months of learning to surf. And people would say to me, my ex was one of them, Pam, don't get your hopes up. You're going to be surfing against people that have been surfing a lot longer than you and they've got all the experience and they've got all that. And as soon as someone says that to me, now I go, right. It's almost like, you know, red flag. <laughs> Give me that red flag. I'm going to do it. So and when it comes back to spiders, that size spider making those noises down there, I would have a struggle with that one. But <laughs> And I don't know if I'll ever really pick one up. I don't really have a desire to. But, again, you, there isn't anything you can't do. Like, I got the idea about being a surfing champion, thinking that would make my dad love me. How stupid is that, by the way? He was the one that was beating me and completely abandoned me. At 27, I was still looking to get his approval. Oh, yeah. Slap me now. Slap me isn't now. Isn't the human brain a fun thing? <laughs> it's like, why? It's like, stop it. So it wasn't until I rang him up and said, Dad, I've just won the European Ladies Surfing Championships and I've only been surfing 12 months and I beat the Saracens and the Irish and all these people that have been surfing for 10 years or more. And he goes, what's the weather like over there? And I've looked at the phone and I thought, I won't explain, I won't say what I said on the phone, but blah, 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 expletive, 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 build his vernacular, put the phone down and went, okay, done. I, don't, I am no longer going to seek your approval because I'd got my law degree, that didn't work, I got this, that didn't work, and why am I doing it anyway? He's been abusing me and hitting me. It's like, why do I why do I need that? And so I think what people do is they, they struggle for approval so much that they're in abusive relationships or they're in a toxic relationship, and then that person gives them one tiny little bit of crumb of, of like kindness and they go oh it's not so bad you know it's not so bad we he loves me really he's just having a bad day and that we justify their behavior and yeah. why do we do that and that's because we don't believe in ourselves we don't love ourselves enough to go I don't care about being on my own I don't care how much I fail I'm going to fail fail forward anyway and just mm -hmm. like I'm going to take my chance right if I if I screw up I screw up you know which I'm is, which is hard it. when you're not taught to do that yourself I mean you've obviously had to teach yourself yeah that's absolutely stuff. yeah yeah yeah. Um, so how would you describe your life now compared with your life when you were married? That that woman that was, you know, seeking approval and scared of being alone and all those things and your life now, how would you describe it? Well, you know, I had a beautiful house when I was married and because I come from being abandoned and not having a home and living in an attic on stolen food, I held on to that house. It was a beautiful house. I'd, I'd done a lot of the renovations. We'd, we'd done it ourselves. We'd knocked down walls and, like I said, I laid floors and I designed the kitchen and and everything I made that house it was like a show house you walk in there and it was it was my show house it was beautiful I had a studio down the back that I built and I put the roofing bolts on myself I was up there with my gun my nail gun and and stuff and I I did a lot of it so I had a lot of me in it like that, that there's a lot of me 
in that house and I couldn't leave it because, but it was a material thing I was holding on to and so um I didn't have that freedom there I had the beautiful house I had lovely clothes and I had security I had two children that I absolutely loved and adored and I still didn't have that freedom I was still being told what I could do what I could have and how I could do it and, and whatever and I didn't want that and so I was looking at my house with my ocean view thinking this is beautiful but the payoff or the the cost of that is me not feeling like I'm free. Now I don't have that beautiful house. I've got a nice apartment, but I don't have my beautiful house, but I have my freedom. Like I decided before COVID, I was going to back, go back on one of my bucket. I made a bucket list. And one of those things on the bucket list was to live in France for three months and go back to school. And I, so I did exactly that. I just said to my partner, I'm going to go to France for three months. He went, three months. I said, okay, six. He goes, okay, three's good. <laughs> so and I went back to school and uh, I was the oldest person there I think and I went to school for three months so the freedom I have since I've left that marriage and the choices I've been able to make I've done all the courses I've been able to make I've gone off and traveled by myself I was never allowed and he would say to me you're not going on holiday without me you're not going to travel without me and I'm like what do you think I'm going to get up to and I just I needed to go out and do these holidays on my own to explore myself you know, to feel the loneliness, to feel the fear of being on my own and not be and not being thinking, you know, who's following me or whatever and am I gonna get lost and, and whatever, you know, I must check my pockets or my keys and my phone a thousand times every time I went out, but I'm getting better at that too now. Sometimes I've got my phone and my keys. I know I can get back in and I can phone a friend <laughs> and my cards are on there now so I can pay for something. So it's about challenging that. And so that freedom I have is I wouldn't trade it for the world. I wouldn't trade it for my beautiful house. It's a, like a million dollar house. I wouldn't, I don't care. I'd rather have my little apartment, which I can touch nearly all the walls. And I'd rather have that and have my freedom and be able to do the things I want to make my programs, to do someone's training, to do a Reiki course, because what the hell do you want to do that for? Because I love Reiki and I'm a Reiki master and I want to do it. But what's your ROI on that? I don't have to justify what I'm going to do anymore and why I'm doing it. I can just do it because I can. And I can buy the clothes I want. <laughs> oh yes, yes. I know. I know. <laughs> Freedom, Freedom baby. Pam, thank you so much for sharing your story. That is, you've just been an absolute delight. Like really, so beautiful. I've been crying. I've been laughing. I've had all the feels. Um, <laughs> you've obviously, you know, I, I just am in awe of everything you've been doing. Amazing. You've really. Um, demonstrated how to, you know, turn your divorce into something absolutely incredible. Thank you so much. Yeah. Now, before we finish up, let's finish with our fast five questions yep. that we love to wrap up with. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Let's... I just lost them. Be <laughs> <laughs> <Stay> gone. How <laughs> fast they are. All right. So, number one, um, what is the hardest thing about divorce? Uh, the hardest thing was the impact it was having on my children and that it's never an easy thing. And I was determined that my children wouldn't get caught in the middle and um, it still has an impact on them. And it, it, there does become a divide and the children, even though they know that you shouldn't be together, the idea when you separate, it's a very different lifestyle for them. So it changes their life too. It doesn't just change us, it changes theirs too. So that was probably the hardest thing. Yeah. Yeah. And who got you through your darkest days? Um, Marissa Peer and John Asaraf, and they are Marissa Peer's a hypnotherapist. So I had to become a master hypnotherapist, of course, because I always have to go. If there's a level, I have to reach it. <laughs> me, right? Just not because, for any other reason other like you know I've got to climb to the highest point. And uh, she's a hypnotherapist, and 
um, I became a master hypnotherapist because I realized how much change you could actually get past that critic critical voice that says, oh, don't do that. You're going to you're going to fail. You're going to do this. Um, so, yeah, that was really good. And John Astaroff is good for his neuroscience training and the meditation and the way that he um, shows us how to use our brains properly and how to think properly and how your thoughts control your life. Mm-hmm. So that was it was amazing. Yeah, need to follow up on that one. Um, so what's been your proudest moment since divorce? My proudest moment. I don't even know. Oh, my, <laughs> I can choose. My proudest moment um, have to be just like the fact that within, because I was told I wouldn't make it on my own, I rented for 12 months while I saved and worked like a champion and I bought uh, an, an, a small apartment. And 11 months later, I bought a house. And so in 12 months, I bought two properties and I traveled to Thailand for a month and I'd written my own book, done a couple of courses and done a whole bunch of other things that I won't bore you with. But I've been, I've done a lot of things, created my own program, became a Tony Robbins Cool 100 coach and all the rest of that. So yes, they were my protestants. <laughs> I could squeeze so much into 12 months. Yeah, that's a, that's a cracking 12 months. What's been... <laughs> What's been your biggest gift from divorce? Um, that I can do anything I put my mind to. That, And it doesn't matter how hard it is, that so long as I don't focus on, oh, I'm a useless thing, I'm a, I'm a failure, and I go, well, that didn't quite work out. And maybe I was, I'm, I, I have been guilty, uh, hand on my heart, I've been a Russian. And uh, then I go, it's like shoot, fire, oh, aim. it's like so I need to like slow down and breathe a little bit and not keep rushing in and going yeah I've got my freedom I'm gonna do this oh shit that didn't work out (laughs) okay now I've just lost ten thousand dollars that was like my money for the whole year but no so it's about yeah just I don't know um I just my biggest thing is that I can do anything I put my mind to and then nothing will stop me because it doesn't matter if I fail I don't care about failing yeah um, that's incredible. And what advice would you give to someone going through a tough breakup? To um, look at the, your relationship as a whole. Look at it's not just about what's wrong with that person. Like you know, Adi was very confident, and um, although he was very controlling, I needed that. I needed someone, or I thought I needed that. Right at the time, I did. I needed that one, that security of being in a home. So it's like, what did I get from that relationship, and how did that make me grow? And he's very businesslike. I'm not businesslike and now I need to be business because I'm getting burned out time and time again. So, you know, I need to to look at how he, you know, does things and take on some of that. So to understand why you're leaving that relationship, okay, and not just leave it because, you know, he's saying this and like blaming him. Stop blaming. Stop blaming that person for making you feel what you feel. Look at your own internal reference because no one can make you feel anything. So if I'm sitting here and I'm annoying the crap out of you, and you're thinking I'm really negative, you've got to look at yourself. Perception is projection. What is it in yourself that is really negative? Because you're making it my problem. So you can express your your feelings of frustration, but you're making it my problem so that you don't have to take responsibility for it. So take responsibility for the part you've played in that relationship. Own it and grow from it and know who you were. As you asked me at the beginning, who was I? I was insecure. I had to own that I was insecure, that I needed that kind of person. But this is um, how I've outgrown that kind of person there because this is who I'm working towards. So, yeah, own where you've been and own what the relationship did for you because everything teaches us something. Yes, it is all a lesson. We know that for sure. sure Um, Absolutely. Thanks again, Pam. Um, Definitely have turned your divorce into the best thing that's ever happened and it's been wonderful to talk to you. Cheers to you. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. I've loved every minute of it. Thank you. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to Champagne Divorce Party. If you're going through a tough breakup and would like support from industry experts and a community of like-minded women, come over and join our divorce club at champagnecartel.com slash divorce. Catch you next time.